3: But your eyes tell you it's true.
1: Shut. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. And
0: welcome to episode 229 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle and this is the second, I think, episode of March 2018 and we're going to be talking about something that's sort of kaiju adjacent. In this episode, we're not going to be talking about Godzilla movies or movies that have giant monsters in them, but we're talking about two pieces of work from a specific director named Keita Amemiya, who is a Japanese artist, essentially, joining me here in studio for this. uh, I guess this is kind of an experiment. We don't really go into this kind of thing too much. We have Clancy Peterson. Hi Kyle. Hey man, and uh also Gretchen Brooks is here. Hey guys. You know, you guys are uh the only two who really wanted to come and do this and <laughs> I really appreciate you being here. <laughs> like I can't believe nobody was interested in doing this cuz I thought I sold it really well, but basically uh-huh. you guys are here as you're the new stalwarts basically. <laughs>
1: we are. We're the red shirts. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sure, the red shirts that are going to get promoted.
1: Yeah.
0: And then Jeff and Martin and all those other guys, they're going to get demoted. They'll be the new red shirts. Just kidding. Anyway, uh, so first question I have for you. Were either of you familiar with this director, Keita Amemia, before today? Uh, Yeah, I'm familiar with some of his work.
2: Okay, Um,
0: primarily I'm guessing the Zerum
2: film. Most definitely. uh, I've seen Zerum a Mm -hmm. few times. I own Zerum. The second movie in the, uh, anime, the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. OHVs is what
0: they're, they're they're really, I can't remember it's, original version animation, I think is what it stands for, but yeah, so there's a, there's an animated version, that's not a version, it's sort of like a prequel series of Zerum, or, uh, it's technically called Iria. I think Zerum the animation or something like that, but... Basically, yeah. So, Okay, so you're familiar with the Zerum series.
2: Yeah, that, and I believe that's about it, other than seeing him at a couple conventions recently and seeing his work laid out on the table and stuff online, but those are the only things that I've watched.
0: Okay. How about you, Gretchen?
1: I'm totally new to it. Totally. Okay.
0: You're an Amemia noob. I am. Okay, so... Uh, that's awesome. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Keita Amemia. Actually, before I dive into that, let me tell you a little bit more about why we're doing this. One, Clancy mentioned that he saw Amemia at a convention, and that was at Monsterpalooza. Last mm. year, we went to Monsterpalooza, and I actually interviewed Keita Amemia. I've been looking for a really good time to put that interview into the feed, mm. but unfortunately, it's not something that I feel like I could just you know, dump onto the listeners. I feel like I have to give it a little pre-story, a little pre-history. I don't know. Something to basically prime the pump for the listeners because this guy's work is insane and I love it to death. And I don't understand why more people don't know about Amemia's work. Specifically, I think most people who know Amemia or recognize his name are familiar with the Zerum series because especially the first movie, Was treated pretty well here in the States, and I think it was received well as a sort of cult status. If you are interested in it, I actually was on the Kaiju Transmissions podcast talking all about the Zerum series with those guys, and they are going to be releasing their episode about Zerum around the same time as this or around the same time as the interview. So it's sort of like a multi podcast attack to really spread the word of Keita Amemia. So that's sort of the gist of why we're doing this right now. Amemia didn't do. A lot of giant monster stuff. For the most part, he's super into the tokusatsu, uh, you know, the hero stuff, right? So he's been involved with a ton of Sentai series, Kamen Rider. He's directed some Kamen Rider movies. He did a Hakaider movie. Hakaider is the villain from the Kikaider show. It's just he's entrenched in the tokusatsu genre in Japan. And he's also this incredible artist. So he's not just a director. He's also a character designer and a beautiful illustrator. I've got one of his books here. Is it right here? It is. Before we go watch the movie, you should check out this book because it's awesome. I've got some Mikazuki books, too. Unfortunately, like I said, he hasn't done a ton of giant monster stuff, but the stuff that he's done that would even really be kaiju adjacent would be a movie called Moon Over Tao, which was released here in America by Tokyo Shock and Media Blasters. And then he did this mini-series called Iron Warrior Mikazuki. Tekoki Mikazuki is what the Japanese name is for it. Essentially, it's sort of a remake, I don't know, in a very loose sense of the word, of Johnny Sako or Giant Robo. Huh. So this kid can control a robot. And we're going to get into basically that movie, Moon Over Tau. And we are going to watch the first episode of Mikazuki. And then after we're done with our conversation... Uh, I'm going to come back on and talk a little bit more about the rest of the series because it's crazy. It's super crazy and it's super fun. And I can't wait to show you this to you guys. <laughs>
1: I'm <laughs> like, stoked.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And honestly, I hope that this episode encourages more people to go out and seek his work because it is out there. It is available. And even though some of them, like the Hawkeye movie, uh put this stuff that we're watching to shame in terms of being – just out of their minds, like just <laughs> crazy. Hackeider is so weird; it's uh, hard for me to wrap my brain around.
1: Is Hackeider that film about like the motorcycle? The I've uh, seen this.
0: I think <gasps> you've seen it.
1: I've totally seen this. It's yeah, crazy. That yeah. okay. That was that was nuts. So he's
0: that character. Hackeider mm-hmm. is the villain in Kikider. Okay. So he's sort of like a bad version of, of Kikider. And I have not watched a lot of Kickiter, so don't come to me with any questions about that. <laughs> I haven't watched a lot of Common Writer either, but I have actually, in preparation for that interview I did with uh, Amemia, I watched everything I could of his.
1: I saw this like 2012 on Netflix. By the way, I just suddenly, when you were talking about how crazy, and I kept thinking, like I have seen. Wait,
0: that was on Netflix. That's yes. awesome. That's and cool. it was subtitled the DVDs or the or the actual just online? that movie. Oh crazy. Yeah, I've got it. I, okay. I own it. Wow. Yeah,
1: so. I haven't seen it since then. I didn't I couldn't even reference it honestly because I was like I didn't remember the name <laughs> of it.
0: <laughs> well, I don't blame you. I mean, first up, the movie in the <laughs> the movie in the States is called Mechanical Violator Hackrider.
1: Yes. And, and it I don't has know why it's a crazy image for their Oh, sorry yeah. if I, like I think it's rhythmic. just because
0: it's a rad title. It is a rad <laughs> title. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about about MMIM. And then uh, after we talk a little bit about Amamiya, we'll take a music break, go watch our first movie, and then come back, maybe, and then go watch the Mikazuki. I don't know if right. we're going to do that first or just do everything at once. But uh, Amamiya was born August 24th, 1959, and in 1981, he graduated from the Asagaya Art College or Art Institute during the 1980s. He actually directed some Sentai shows. So uh like I was saying earlier, there's still a ton of shows in Japan where people are heroes and they transform or they become super. Sometimes there are giant robots involved in that as well. And so he directed some episodes of Sentai programs. And like I said, Kamen Rider in 88. That's when his first movie legit movie came out. And that was called Cyber Ninja or in Japanese Mirai Ninja and Cyber Ninja. I bought because I wanted to see it was available. It was released in the States in a very poor English dub. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this is uh, the DVD that I have is ripped from a VHS source. So high quality, my friends, high quality stuff. Anyway, it's weird. The cyber Ninja movie in terms of story, it's kind of like a video game. Like, this guy goes through these levels and then there's a big boss and then he goes through more levels and then there's a big boss. I'm really paraphrasing. Obviously, it's not exactly like that, but uh totally worth watching because it's a brilliant look at Amemiya's style. Amemiya has this style you'll see, especially in the first thing we're going to watch, Moon Over Tao, which is very classic Japan meets futurism hmm. kind of thing. So I like to say Amemiya's whole look like if he could design the universe he would basically say i think he would say japan continues growing without any real influence from the outside east west kind of dynamic and then they develop their own technology and their own uh weapons and their own you know (laughs) everything lifestyle their own future but with a very very hard japanese slant to it so you've got like cool roofs on the uh like in Cyber Ninja there's a walking castle or a walking building that shoots things
1: so everything's really aesthetically um like very edo japanese. yes okay. very
0: edo period japanese okay. stuff yeah it's wild and then so it the movie we are going to be watching Moon Over Tao is set in the edo period or right you know around there the warning cool. states maybe i'm not exactly sure when it is we'll find out hopefully. Uh however, let's go back to this. So Cyber Ninja is a future tale and then after Cyber Ninja he did the Zerum, the first Zerum movie. And then he did Common Rider Zoe and Common Rider J and then he did Zerum 2. After Zerum 2 he did Mechanical Violator, Hakider. <laughs>
1: Jesus. <laughs>
0: And that was 1995. (laughs) I'm so, I'm really glad you asked that movie. That's crazy. Oh my
1: gosh, I didn't realize who we were talking about.
0: (laughs) All right. So that was 1995 that that movie came out. All right. So I think it's a good idea for us to place these movies alongside of like the Godzilla series, right? So that basically came out the same year Destroya came out, the Mm. end of the Heisei era before Godzilla went on his five, four year hiatus before the Millennium series. So really. This stuff was happening like at this perfect time for uh, people who were aware of Tokusatsu in Japan, but maybe didn't know much more past Godzilla to so really dive in and, and learn about some other directors and some other works out there. And now that brings us to 1997's entry into his filmography, Moon Over Tao. Moon Over Tao is called Tao no Tsuki. It was released in Japan November 29th of 1997. It is a period drama, much like Daimajin and in some ways, very much not like Dime Machine. Uh, One thing I wanted to mention to the listeners about Moon Over Tau is that there were some familiar faces in this film. Uh, specifically, we're talking about three actors. One, as we mentioned earlier, is Yuko Moriyama, who played Iria in the Zerum films. She played the aliens Abira, Marion, and Kutso in Moon Over Tau. Also, Hiroshi Abe, who played Katagiri, in Godzilla 2000, which Clancy pointed out as we were uh, watching the film. If you're unfamiliar who Katagiri is, he's the guy who yells at Godzilla from the rooftop just before Godzilla smashes it. And then the third person, who I have definitely seen in other things, but I didn't even realize it until later, was Toshiyuki Nagashima, who played Suikyo in Moon Over Tao. But that guy in 1989, played a military character. I think he was sort of like the younger military character in Godzilla vs. Biollante, the one that uh eventually was going to be taking over from the older guys. I don't exactly remember who he was. but And then he was also in Gamera 2 playing the male lead, who was the military guy who was kind of escorting the scientist girl around. And then... Last but not least, in Godzilla X Megaguirus, he plays the military commander who was killed at the very beginning in the prologue before the credits roll uh, that inspires the female lead of Godzilla X Megaguirus to take vengeance on Godzilla. So there you go. That is the familiar faces of Moon over Tau. Keita Amemiya uses a lot of the same actors. He has a cadre of maybe like four or five actors that he uses in almost all of his productions. The guy he uses the most out of anybody is Yukijiro Hotaru, who if you've seen the Gamera trilogy from the nineties, he plays inspector Odako. I think that's his name. Uh He plays the inspector in that film, the first one, and then he's in the second. And then the third one, Hotaru is so prolific in Tokusatsu stuff. It's insane. Just a warning, the word insane is going to be used a lot during this episode. <laughs> I can just sense it. I can just sense it. Anyway, so Town Notsuki uh is basically a movie set in feudal era Japan, but there is a sci-fi element to it. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say. I described this show and uh, <clears throat> Moon Over Tau as insane, like crazy. These are wild. But honestly, Moon Over Tao is probably the more tame of his productions. So actually, you watched probably like the least insane Keita Amemia thing. And then you just got a little taste for his regular style of insanity for Mikazuki. But yeah, so we just literally sat down. We watched the Moon over Tao, and then we just watched the very first episode, which is uh, sort of like a pilot length of Tekoki Mikizuki. Let's talk a little bit about Tao Notsuki, which is Moon over Tao. Uh, obviously, neither of you guys had ever seen that before. So I would say how much Chambara or Jideki, Jideki, have you seen where it's like period pieces, like samurai movies? Uh,
2: I've seen a fair amount of the Kurosawa samurai films and some of the ones that are at least more popular and readily available here, like through the Criterion Collection. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. So the whole format that he was using there before introducing like some of the magical elements was very familiar to me.
0: Right on. And uh, Gretchen, how about you?
1: I've also seen quite a few samurai films, so... That was not a surprise in the, as far as that part of the story is concerned. But then when the, the magic started happening, that was super cool.
0: Okay, so a follow-up question. Have you ever seen any Japanese fantasy before? For example, if you've seen the yokai films from the 60s...
1: Totally seen those. ...in
0: the... Uh, the second film which is the one with daimon the babylonian vampire mm-hmm. there is a very small magic ceremony that happens it's performed i think man i please don't quote me on this ever but i think it's performed by a shinto priest and he's like shaking a stick and it's got like uh, tassels on it and he's got it's a an fire, exorcism, and uh, i think it's an exorcism and he's saying like uh yeah.
1: That's an exorcism. Yeah.
0: yeah. So basically, that's, that was my only influence or my only exposure to Japanese fantasy mm. stuff, really, in terms of magic, until this movie called Onmyoji came uh, out. Oh, yeah.
1: I was going to say Onmyoji. Oh. Those films are so good. Have love you seen it,
0: those? Love it. Uh, no, I haven't seen those. <laughs> okay. So Onmyoji is totally like, I mean, almost like this movie, like yeah. Moon Over Tao, right? So it's set in. Uh, I'm guessing it's the Edo period. You know, the problem is I don't know all the periods. I basically, and, and listeners, actually, many people over the years have said, oh, thanks to you, I know about the Showa era and the Heisei era and what that means because when they start listening, they uh, they don't get the explanation right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to use the term Edo era, which uh literally is a time period in Japan's history.
1: It's during the shogunate.
0: Yeah, it's the Tokugawa shogunate ruled and i'm trying to remember is this the period when they uh went through a major like art renaissance
1: yeah like i think so yeah
0: so like basically you look up the edo period and uh the hokusai wave print there you go the first thing that comes up so it's a very popular time frame however it's not the only period there's (laughs) also the jomon period the yayoi period the kofun period the asuka period the nara the Heian, the Kamakura. See, there's all of these eras of Japanese history, and I don't know exactly what years <laughs> Moon Over Tau falls into that history. Let's just say feudal Japan.
1: There you go. I mean, honestly, because it's not a historical piece, so...
0: Yeah, it's not definitely not historical. <laughs> or is it... It
1: kept saying how, it kept reiterating that it wasn't, that it was a work of fiction. Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Instead of me trying to recap Moon over Tau, because I'm assuming a lot of listeners have not seen it, I figured what I would do is I would actually just read a description from our good friend Dr. Internet. A retired warrior comes to see his former lord and learns that someone is making indestructible swords from some unknown metal. He's sent together with a swordsman to investigate the source. Along the way, they meet a young girl working as a beekeeper, who later is a witness to the appearance of three strange females from another dimension. They're searching for a lost weapon that has landed on Earth, and as one of them lay dying, she enlists the girl to help them control the strange beast-slash-weapon. Meanwhile, the warrior and his swordsman learn that an old nemesis has created the swords from the shell that surrounded this alien weapon, and soon the alien beast-slash-weapon is awakened, and the battle for control ensues. And that is actually pretty damn succinct, (laughs) like a really good description of that movie's plot. Neither of you guys had seen Moon Over Tau before. Let's hear your initial thoughts. Clancy.
2: Well, as we talked about a minute ago with the uh, fact that it's kind of like using as a basis for the general story, kind of like a template of samurai films. Mm -hmm. I definitely enjoyed that and it made it very easy for me to just kind of slip into watching the film, even though there was some strange elements to it. Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: So it gave you a familiar, an air of familiarity with the, with the brand new.
2: Yeah. So I was just like, this feels comfortable. Right. That being said, once it started actually adding in some of those elements that are kind of, you know, unique to him, um, like when the three uh, alien alien characters came in, in. I thought that was a real welcome addition and I thought it was really cool. I think another thing that definitely stood out to me just right off initial viewing was kind of like the soundtrack to the film Mm -hmm. and how it kind of reminded me of video games out of Japan at that same time period.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, somebody mentioned the Buddhist thing, the Buddhist chanting. Mm -hmm. Is that you, Gretchen? Yeah. Yeah, good soundtrack. Actually, very Zero-esque soundtrack. I'm pretty sure it was the same composer. Any other initial thoughts? Uh, I mean, I'll just go with that for now. Okay. See where we go. Gretchen, how about you? Initial thoughts on Moon over Tau?
1: Well, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, starting off that, it was, especially coming to this, not even knowing anything about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't do any, I didn't look it up or anything. So I was super stoked to see just kind of start to finish. That swordsman was no Mifune, but I tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) But he was good. What Clancy was kind of saying about the familiarity of the samurai, I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, so for me, I have seen Moon Over Tao a whole lot. Like, yeah. Um, so I discovered Zerum fairly early in my life, just in terms of like how long it had been out there. I I definitely saw it when I was in college. And I think that's why I associate it with having some sort of cult hit status, uh, that movie. But that, that's not the movie we're talking about, obviously. So when I came to Portland and found Mike's movie Madness, yeah. I found their, you know, weird science fiction section from Japan this that had all it? the Godzilla stuff in it. And Zerum was in it, and Moon Over Tau eventually was in it as well.
1: Whoa. So
0: basically I found more from Keita Amemia just on my own. And really, I don't understand why this stuff is not as popular with Godzilla fans, but it's one of those things where I was really drawn to his design style. I was really drawn to his story style. Again, I'll talk about Zerum just a little bit. Uh, you should have
1: watched it's, Zerum. No, <laughs> you should
0: have. You should watch Zerum at some point. But basically, Zerum is like a live-action anime, mm. right? But it's not anime. It didn't originate as anime. They made anime later. But that really, really spoke to me somehow when I saw it. And I looked at what Amemia did... And it is very inspiring overall, especially like when you, you know, pull way back and look at the entire body of his work, he inserts his style into every single production that he makes. And it's just overwhelming at the same time as being like hauntingly beautiful and slightly scary and nightmarish. It's just absolutely thrilling to me for me to, uh, you know, just to watch his stuff. I'm enamored. If you cannot tell.
2: <laughs> well, and it's, it's kind of funny. What, what, like so when you said zerum and i know we're not talking about zerum but yeah <laughs> you said something <laughs> about it i have never <laughs> seen zerum but when you said it's not it wasn't an anime um so and what i'm about to say goes for both the things we watched today as well mm-hmm. as that and the fact that you're talking about his style being infused into these things that very much did you know stand out to me just sitting down and watching these things for the first time was mm-hmm. that Everything that you were watching, knowing that he's an artist and a lot of this stuff is coming from concept sketches that he's putting together and oh, whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. very much felt like what he had drawn came to life on the screen in a really good way, especially considering when you're talking about the budgets or whatever. It just, you could just tell that it was something from his style. If you're familiar with that style.
0: Yeah and so for me going back to sort of i guess my initial thoughts like Moon Over Tao it represents the like the best in a mashup right you've mm-hmm. got it's the it's the same reason I love Machine, right you've got a samurai drama mm-hmm. with a giant monster in it like sure. oh god it's so good right like so Moon Over Tau is a samurai drama with a sci-fi element to it that just also happens to have a monster in it as well and the monster you know, it's very similar, I think not, it, it's not, it's similar to anything visually, but the monster is very similar in danger level to something like the relic, or the monster in the relic, oh, I can yeah. that's called, but it's also from the same time span, like, you know, this was 1997, so... I really, really, really love Moon Over Tao. That's yeah, a uh, cool,
1: like, manticore looking, yeah, like...
0: The design of that monster. It's, I'm really bummed that there's not more available.
1: Red Bull versus, like, Red Bull from Last from Unicorn. Last Unicorn yes, yeah, yes. with a the manticore. There you go. Or or Legend.
0: Sure, yeah. All of that stuff. But, <laughs> but, I mean, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. This is a fantasy sci-fi movie blended with a samurai film. And it is just... Rad. I mean, it's a little rough around the edges. Sure. The CGI doesn't hold up as well as I would want it to. I mean, not even close, but uh, I I absolutely think it's fantastic. And if you haven't seen Moon Over Tau, I mean, you're going to hear this over and over again from me, I'm sure. You should check out Moon Over Tau. It had a legit release here in the States. You, it's not just a bootleg kind of thing like Mikazuki is, which we'll talk about later. But uh, so let's talk about what you liked. Specifically, what was
2: your favorite part about Moon Over Tau? Uh, favorite part. Well, I already mentioned the soundtrack and that was, I mean, that was definitely a high point for me, but let's see. Um, I definitely liked the, uh, when they did go into those samurai elements for the film, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't really pull any punches when it came to that stuff. And I mean, even the oldest samurai films were always perfect for the blood spray. I mean, even the, yeah, even <laughs> yeah. the old ones, they would have that in there. Um, but once that kind of stuff just to give away how demented I am, I guess. Whenever that kind of stuff happens on screen, the mix of the spray, the sound effect, uh-huh. and then just that color. That red, um, red yeah. color, yes. I love it. And I loved it here as mm. well. But yeah, that was definitely, all that was awesome. But then we we already mentioned the the monster when you were talking about how it kind of looked like the monster from Legend. I dug that design a lot with just like the four... Almost like it had like this horse-like quality yeah, to mm-hmm. it.
0: crazy, crazy huge hooves.
2: Yeah, yeah, and while it didn't work, as you were saying, some of the CG is definitely dated. I mean, I remember that era and some of it would work. But even during that time period, it's like, I mean, I'd rather just see a practical monster yes. even back yeah. then. Totally. But I know you could tell what they were going for. And the monster movements and everything about it, it felt like a cool, thought out, realized mm-hmm. creature. And when they actually did go with the practical, it was frigging amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: But I could see why they could build what like so, this practical makaraga, right? Which mm-hmm. is huge. I mean the thing, if it's a life-size practical makaraga, makaraga, it has to be at least seven feet
1: tall. It's not a huge kaiju.
0: Yeah, not 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 uh yeah. And so when we say kaiju, Literally, kaiju means strange beast. And so that doesn't mean giant strange beast. Mm, so, uh, mm. that's why I was like cool with, with talking about the Makaraga. Of course, I just love Amemia's work. So this is an excuse to get more of his work into the podcast. But this design for this creature could easily be a gigantic monster if they had decided to go that way, but it's a strange beast and it's, uh, it's definitely. <laughs> Definitely monstrous.
2: Well, and even when they had, because a lot of times, you know, you use that CG, so you don't, I mean, I I guess it would probably be easier. A guy that's doing computer animation could answer that better. But for whatever reason that they use it in a film, sometimes they do take out some of those other practical effect uses. Mm -hmm. And it didn't seem like they were really taking any shortcuts or anything. There were still plenty of awesome scenes where it was like somebody was jumping on top of the monster and it looked like they were using something practical there before oh, yeah. they stab Absolutely, a sword in yeah. there so even when we're mentioning this CG thing it is still feels like a old school production loaded with you know models and
0: totally practical yeah effects amemia doesn't I don't think he's the kind of guy to say, Oh, I would never use CGI. Yeah. Obviously he w- wouldn't say that. We saw lots of CGI. I just mean that sort of mentality. Oh, no, it's yeah. a tool I have available to me. So I'm going to use it. You know, if I, if, and I think in Mikazuki, I think it works a little bit better. There were only a couple of spots in Mikazuki where the CGI was what I would call bad. Mm. And there were more spots where it was not as polished and doesn't hold up as well, but it's better than what we're seeing in the moon over Tao movie but the moon over Tao's cgi isn't terrible and like you said clancy it's like they they said i can do that with practical you know so we'll do this in practical i really feel like they kind of used the cgi for stuff they couldn't do practically for the most part like even his birth scene right where it's like that's what i was thinking like, of start off with a practical kind of effect but it's kind of cool at the same time and i i still think that looks okay i don't know i i I don't have an issue so much with the practical versus the cgi stuff Oh, one of the things i was going to say about the practical versus cgi and the actual piece that they built was i'm sure that once they got that moving it did not look very good didn't look very lifelike when it was being puppeted as a oh yeah you know in like a long shot or something like that regardless that monster is just super rad Gretchen, what did you like best?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, we covered so much already. So many things that I loved about this film. Um, practical effects were spectacular when they were used. They mm-hmm. It was just beautiful. Like the, we were talking about just a minute ago, the birth scene, the undulating mass that's like absorbing um, the blood and whatnot. Super great and squidgy and yuck. <laughs> and a lot of
0: gore in this movie too. and
1: the costuming was amazing like the difference between the aliens the alien women and uh the the peasantry like the people and those the regular people yeah yeah who have the special powers and things like that but <laughs> you <laughs> know
0: regular to a point
1: regular to a point
0: but yeah no, no i yeah the I design. i thought
1: that was beautiful
0: well you know the one of the things that MMI is really good at is character design. So I would to Well, imagine did you see like the details the on her costume, gloves? Too. Like the
1: she had these like veins on her gloves that were I mean, I'm thinking in my head, how they did that is probably they took like a glue gun and then they created like this <laughs> weird little line and it was like a it's like made them have a kind of
0: like a ridge fluid, on fluid,
1: like they were like veins. Oh yeah. It it was cool. So he was trying to make their like their suits kind of organic but with, with also having like that weird diver quality to Let's it. Let's
0: talk a little bit about the aliens in this yeah, movie. Yeah, they're Just rad. as a sidebar. So all three aliens are played by the same actress. That same actress plays Iria in the Zerun films. That is Yuko Moriyama, and she is pretty awesome. I think they, she did actually a fantastic job portraying three separate women she
1: did they they seemed different to me they didn't yeah. seem like the same actress
0: yeah so those three women are all from an alternate universe they all three have uh, I think two of them were sort of on the same side and the third one, one was like was a was more like of a, revolution. a revolutionary yeah.
1: yeah she was like a guerrilla warrior style yeah, yeah. But she, and she, she wanted to use line. it. She wanted
0: to use the macaraga to start a revolution. Totally, which was not part of the description that I read. But uh yeah, it's. I really. It's a minor really plot like point.
1: Anyway, because she turns alien, it around. The,
0: the visuals for the aliens were so cool because we think of our atmosphere as air. We just move our hand through it and we breathe it, and it's no different than uh, I would. I would assume air would be on a different world, but this it this dimension that they're from. What we have apparently is not you know native to them, so they need a diving helmet. We are underwater, and it's just so beautiful. It's it's haunting, and I absolutely love it. And the fact that their helmets, their diving helmets, are essentially like their costumes are just skin suits in a sense, mm-hmm. right? You know, they're just like almost like a diving suit, but then their helmets look kind of like Camusagen or Balton
1: I was, from sorry, Ultraman or Guts.
0: Uh sure. Cuz like
1: that roundy kind of A little of, bit, yeah, yeah, but if
0: you took Kermesagian and Bolton and uh, the Cicada man. Actually, it probably looks the most like the Cicada man from yeah. Ultra Q. Anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> it's clear that the influence was there. He was he was definitely doing a nod to Ultraman aliens and mm-hmm. I I loved that as well. Yeah, so anyway. I think we so the design
2: to the movie <laughs>
1: yes Sorry. yes i love the Side design of the, the
0: lore film. in this episode well, yes
2: in, in, in relation to the uh the suits and what you're saying about that it's it's one of those cool things where a lot of what you pulled from the film was just based on what he designed and put there from a visual standpoint oh absolutely yeah. and it's so awesome when that happens so it's like to me it looked like they had these two little things in their head that probably attached somehow to the helmet and they were getting some kind of sustenance or oxygen or whatever they breathe from that. But just to be able to use nothing more than different styles of suits and different ways that it interacted with the environment, you can just visual
0: elements and stuff just to yeah, just just set your brain
2: going and you're going to create something, whether it's exactly what he thought or not, it's enough. So he gives you that basic structure for the film and then adds in these cool little elements and then, leaves it especially when we're watching it with subtitles and not right yeah, yeah being able to pick up everything i felt like i was able to paint some kind of a picture of a world that isn't even really given to me and i found yeah. that to be a big positive for the film
0: i found those flashbacks that they have the little sort of like visions that uh that were shown on screen to be very very like awesome haunting scary etc like when, uh, the head bad guy, whose name I can't remember, Kaguya? Kakuguyo. <laughs> whatever his name was. He, uh. I
1: think it's Kaguya or something. It's K- Kakuguyo. K- is it? O or- oh,
0: or? I'm not know. even going to try.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the IMDb page on this is lacking. So, <laughs> 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 so it's like, I wish it had as much information as the, uh, Japan page. The one that aged rapidly. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm just going to call him Kakugyo.
1: <gasps> I have a, I have a thought.
0: Okay. Bring on your thought.
1: Okay. So remember when he, um, when the stone absorbs his, like, his essence, essentially, and the, what's the name of the monster? Makaraga. Makaraga comes out, like forms, right? He's all angry and he's like full of vengeance and whatnot. Remember at the end, like the woman looked like, Makuraga.
0: Oh, the alien woman. She that-
1: looked like him with like, but like, like a happier version because she had the big helmet thing on top that almost looked like his the top part of his head.
0: I don't know what that meant. Right? I don't I mean, know. I don't know. am just thinking
1: maybe like originally it's like not really a bad thing. Macaraga 2, goo- electric right? They're going to explain <laughs> it
0: all. explain it all. But
1: maybe it's like, she's like, like maybe the, it's actually a force, uh, could be a force of good depending upon like oh, user.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, eh? yeah. Depending on the intent of the user. Right. Crazy. That's an interesting idea. Well, okay. So let's see. Let's go. My favorite stuff in this movie is just the whole movie. I love the whole movie. There's really, when it comes to nitpicky stuff and what I don't like in it, it I don't even want to, I probably going to pass, you know, uh, do you guys have, I mean, feel free to take me up on a negative aspect of this film. What is there something you'd change? I mean, the CGI, I think is the only thing I would change, but everything else about this movie, I love.
2: love yeah. Love, love. I mean, that's, that's an obvious one. Um, I don't know. I don't really think there was anything in there that was making me not have a good time watching the film. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it holds up pretty well too, right? Like, yeah. Uh, is, I mean, the, like aside from the CGI and even the practical effects, sometimes a little bit dodgy, but it's,
2: you got to give it their practical due, obviously. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a first, first time only watching it once, um, nothing really stood out to me. Yeah. I mean, it was just a fun little ride. And I mean, I want to watch the film again, but yeah, nothing stood out as like a negative. That's
0: cool. Good, good, good. How about you, Gretchen? Do you also agree with me that there is absolutely nothing wrong with this movie?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would only, my only complaint would be the film stock that they use is so like... (laughs) Just is so unsharp. Like it's sure, yeah. so not sharp. Well, I'm
0: hoping they can put out some sort of Blu-ray release. That'd be awesome.
1: It doesn't. It it really deserves a like a nice treatment.
0: I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised, with the quality of the Zerum Blu-ray that came out in Japan. It actually is an improvement. Like so, uh, Japan and movie culture, the way they they've evolved throughout the history of Japan basically they're they've been behind us in terms of film quality and and I mean like a, like you said film stock quality uh, they were shooting in vid- on video sometimes when we were starting to shoot in digital video wow. and so they took it just took them a long time to really catch up and so even even the Godzilla movies from 2000 2001 2002 Through you know, and then 2003 and also 2004, very (laughs) grainy, you know, very grainy film stock. But the Blu-ray versions have not really improved the visuals. So, like, I bought GMK on Blu-ray, and I honestly was bummed that it didn't look better. I am happy to say that while 1990, what did I say? 91, 91, Zerum does have some grain to it. The Blu-ray is a market improvement over the DVD that I have. So hopefully the Moon Over Tau Blu-ray that will eventually hopefully come out will look
2: just as good. That's the tough thing too when it comes to those restorations is it's like I don't really have that much personally I don't know much about like how those Blu-rays were processed and who put like the ones that we have available on Amazon where you just go right, on there yeah. and they are like, here you go, here's the Heysay era for nine ninety nine all together. Um, cause I mean, it's an art in and of itself to Mm -hmm. scan those things and kind of the thing that isn't necessarily fun is that they also have improvements in that process and the cost, like when those Blu-rays were made may have been high. And then now that cost has come down and technology has gone up, you have to weigh the whole thing with. Oh uh, well now am I double dipping to buy it again? And is it actually worth double dipping to buy it again? Mm. So Moon over Tao is absolutely worth the double dip in my opinion. <laughs> I yeah, man,
0: I had no problem getting the Xerum films, you yeah. know, when I heard that they were coming out on Blu ray. So uh again, not talking about Xerum, talking about Moon over Tao. <laughs> and I mean, basically the deal is I think I think we're at the point where we can go to, to our final thoughts and then move on to Mikazuki. Totally. Go see this movie. That's really where I I'm, I'm leaving off with it, but let me get, get you guys full final thoughts on moon over towel.
2: Well, just real quick. Cause you just said that, I mean, is this uh actually readily available at the moment?
0: So the answer is yes and no. Uh Essentially Tokyo shock slash media blasters. Put this movie out on DVD in the same sort of Keita Amemiya collection that they were doing, where they put out Zerum 2, and they also put out Hakaider. And there is a collection you can technically buy of all three of those movies. It says it's 35 bucks, uh, which is not too bad. Then there's also the actual Moon Over Tau DVD itself, which, as far as I know, is the only time it's ever been like turned into a DVD, and I'm guessing that the, what you would get in the collection is the exact same yeah. disc. You can get one on Amazon right now through a third party for about 9 to $12. So it is technically available. Very cool. There are people selling it for $80, but forget those people.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd have to go and, you know, <laughs> maybe break the law or something. Well, or, I would as say... As opposed to breaking the law of my conscience by spending $80.
0: Yeah, I would say it's... This movie... While it might be worth $80, if you're considering spending $80 on it, just hold off and wait till or wait till it comes out on Blu-ray is what I would say. And then spend some coin on the film. Anyway, final thoughts resumption.
2: Yeah. So I'd say if you're a fan of samurai films, but not a purist when it comes to that, like Mm. you're not a fan because if you're a fan of period piece, this has to be like a samurai. This is probably not what you want to watch, okay. Um, but I would recommend it to anyone that's a samurai film fan for sure. But then again, the, you know, the audience is obviously coming together to hear about Godzilla and rubber suited foes. I mean, it is definitely into that wheelhouse too, because sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you're like a fan of Destroya as the monster to me, like easy to get into as a monster fan. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. You're right. That has a quality. That has some
2: destroyer qualities. Yes. The other thing that I would say, um, for me personally, this definitely fits into that. Like when I was first discovering some of the, not I don't want to say strange stuff from Japan, but just being introduced to a lot of new stuff in the '90s.
0: Sure, like French entertainment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: I and I see this as a a good thing. Cause I know a lot of people here nineties and maybe that's not their era or they don't remember it being a good time. And they were, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but there's something about that nineties Japanese vibe that goes into these types of things and these types of releases. And that's everything from the trailers that you're going to see going on. The, the music style, very reminiscent, a lot of not only just the movies, but also like the games that I was playing at the time.
0: Oh yeah. Totally. Um,
2: so if you have any kind of nostalgia for nineties, Japanese cinema, I think this fits too. Of course, Zerum is in that same category and I just had a good time watching it. You know, I didn't really know that much about the film sitting down to watch it. Mm-hmm. And uh it is not, I did not consider it a waste of time at all. It was a lot of fun. Would you, because this
0: is Kaiju adjacent, would you show this to a Kaiju newbie?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't, I would actually not have a problem doing that because it's, I mean, I might say, you know, this is not necessarily what you're going to get from watching Godzilla films, but yeah, it's. I think it's accessible to somebody that just wants to sit down and watch a movie that's packed full of action. It's never really slow. So I think it would hold anyone's attention. Okay, cool, cool. Good review. Gretchen, hmm. how do you
0: feel about Moon Over Tau now that we've discussed it some?
1: <laughs> well, first off, I would say I wouldn't actually show this to a um, kaiju newbie. Okay. Just because it is pretty fringe. Like it's kind of Everything that kept reverting in my brain, I kept thinking about, like, Tetsuo Iron Man.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up.
1: Right?
2: I don't want to interrupt you.
1: No, it's all right. But have you seen that, by the way, Tetsuo Iron Man?
2: Yeah, yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, so after you recommended to me at last year's G-Fest, I believe. Oh, cool, cool. Um, and if people want to watch it, I think it's streaming on Shutter, Shutter. at the moment.
0: Nice, nice. Okay, so Tetsuo Iron Man is a very low budget. Whoa. I want to say, I think I heard... Tetsuo Iron Man was a student project, but this is kind of the era we're talking about. Like, right. Ex- shocking. You're on the nose. Well,
1: and I sure. collect this uh, magazine called um, Asian Cult Cinema, mm-hmm. and I remember this being an article about this film in there. I, I, I'm Almost positive. I've just got to go back and find it. Oh, okay. But it, it has, like you were talking about, like a cult quality to it because it is like a lower budget film, but it has like phenomenal creatures and stunts and effects and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt my final thoughts, but yeah, I <laughs> wouldn't show this to a newbie.
0: I understand Moving why. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, this in terms of kaiju newbies, I would say it's also very dependent. What kind of person is this? We were talking about right. Rachel, who's not a kaiju newbie, but she doesn't like gore. She does not like and gore. And there's a lot of blood spray in this movie. You know? Right. So she might be opposed to it.
1: It's a little squidgy. There's a lot of moments where there are like some very organic kind of moments. Sure, Yeah. Um,
0: uh, We were talking on the Kaiju Transmissions podcast about uh, Zerum in general, and there's a little bit of a body horror thing going on. Totally, totally, like the eyeballs and
1: the just the kind of like where he's chewing up people and things like that. Those things I thought were amazing, like just kind of cool, like j-horror kind of gore fun stuff
0: i completely concur yes uh so yeah
1: that i guess that is part of my final thoughts is like bring on this oh it's nice. it really had that kind of like you were saying 90s um vibe Clancy is it totally has that tetsuo iron man that just wacky stuff that was happening. I think it was like, um, happy forest or something like that also came out this time period. Some other really bizarre. And it's also some really bizarre, like anime came out this time.
0: Well, I think basically, and and I'm not really, I am not a film historian, especially when it comes to nineties Japanese cinema. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with Tetsu Iron Man. I'm a, I am also familiar with, of course the Godzilla series, the Gamera series and some other tokusatsu stuff Mm -hmm. from that era. But overall I'm not, I don't know much. I've seen, you know, Tetsu Iron Man and I've seen the Zerum films and a little bit of branching out outside of that. But I couldn't tell you what the flavor was in the rest of cinema in Japan, like what it was like at that time. And 1997, you're getting a little closer to when I was getting involved with mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, right? So for me... Moon Over Tau represents a very cool time in my life where I started to say, I want to see more than just Godzilla and more than Gamera and really start exploring what I didn't even know was called tokusatsu back then. And Moon Over Tau is, in my opinion, one of those perfect movies that exists in there that I just have the fondest memories of. Mm. Uh, I'm so happy that... <laughs> You guys enjoyed it because it's one of those movies I've never shown to anybody else. And I don't know anybody else that has seen it. It's so good. I mean, I'm sure I know other people that have seen it, but I don't think we've talked about it. So I'm really, really happy that you guys liked it. I hope the listeners out there are intrigued enough to go out and check it out. Because like I said a little bit earlier, go out and see this movie. I don't think I'd even say that I would show it to a kaiju noob or I wouldn't show it to a kaiju noob. I would show this to somebody who wanted to learn more about Japanese cinema, you know? And, uh, I think it does belong in the kaiju genre because of the weird creature who Mm -hmm. is absolutely a monster, absolutely destroys things. Uh, it's extreme. It's fun. It's crazy. And it's got, those traditional elements that make it very familiar to someone who has seen samurai films like *Clancy and Gretchen* said. So, uh, that is all I'm going to say about *Moon Over Tao* at least for the next five or six minutes. <laughs> Why don't we listen to the theme song that you guys did not actually even hear from *Mikazuki* and then we'll come back and talk about *Mikazuki*. <laughs> to do that again obviously (laughs) so uh hey so that was uh our man docken rocking like docken with mikazuki and we are going to be talking about Koki mikazuki aka iron warrior mikazuki directed by keita amemia now if you have not seen this we are going to basically cover a little bit of what the first episode is there are six episodes in this series it was a mini series that Played on Fuji TV in 2000 from October 23rd to March 24th. The episode titles are number one, The Mysterious Giant Mikazuki Appears. Number two, The Door That Wouldn't Open. Number three, Fly Mikazuki from Zero to Guy. Episode four is New Giant Shingetsu Arises. Number five, Serious Fight Mikazuki vs. Shingetsu. And the finale, Episode six, is called Mikazuki Forever. There are so many influences in this series. Uh earlier I mentioned that Keita Amamiya is basically just well-versed. He is I, I should say he's like he lives in the tokusatsu pools. Like he basically goes throughout the kaiju, the superhero, the horror. I mean, basically he does everything in tokusatsu as far as I'm concerned. There's kaiju in this. There's mechs in this. There are Sentai slash Henshin heroes in this. There are, uh like, Ultraman Science Patrol guys in this. It's just the list goes on. Uh, and, you know, there's even some of that fantasy element involved, wouldn't you say, Gretchen? I would say so. Anyway, this series is not commercially available, unfortunately, because it's fantastic. You can buy a Hong Kong DVD set that has very terrible subtitles, and I know this because while this is not what we watched tonight, I own the Hong Kong DVD set, and the subtitles are so bad that they were more confusing than what we watched tonight. What we watched tonight was done by high Notori fan subs, and while I very much appreciate what they've done, I will say from a consistency standpoint I wish they had gone through and sort of massaged the text a little bit and make it seem a little more natural like human beings would actually say those words and you know form those sentences because it was still pretty confusing. However, I took the time this morning to really deep dive into episode one of Iron Warrior Mikazuki and just basically watch it. And if I had a question, I would stop it, take some notes. If I thought, thought something was noteworthy, I would look up information if I was something I felt like needed to be looked up. And uh, overall, I basically treated this first episode as a normal sort of movie discussion where I would go in and, like, you know, plumb the depths of the Internet for information. Unfortunately, just like Moon Over Tau, there is barely any information on the Internet in English about this TV series. And I don't trust my translation skills or Google's translation skills enough <laughs> to... Uh, rely solely on what they have to say <laughs> in their broken English translations. So, we're gonna just do our best here. I mean, I don't think I could do a better job really of describing this series than what Dr. Internet did earlier for Moon Over Tau. So, Iron Warrior Mikazuki tells the story of Kazeo, a young boy whose life is saved by the appearance of a giant robot, Mikazuki, during a monster attack. When it's discovered that the boy has the unique ability to pilot the robot in battle, he becomes a member of the AIT team. AIT is dedicated to protecting the Earth from monsters born of human trauma, known as Edom. Now, Gretchen, these monsters are a little yokai-ish, only in the sense that they're basically created by human thoughts or human words, right?
1: Right, like, um, isn't there a type of yokai called, like, Tsutsu? Uh it's the type where like has to do with things that are thrown away.
0: Oh, right, like, right. They
1: kind of become their own. Like when they, you
0: throw something away and you don't show your gratitude, and right. the, the item feels discarded. It's actually the theme in the Great Yokai War. Right. Yeah. Also, you know, in that movie, we were talking a little bit about the fantasy elements of Moon Over Tau and how they were similar to onmyoji absolutely you could almost say similarly that there's like a hanya demon lady in onmyoji that's created only because of that super strong uncontrollable feeling (laughs) she's got the feels and it turns her into a demon so in mikazuki something happens someone gets worked up and they yell a word or they say a phrase or they have a negative thought, and that sort of turns into this sort of idea monster. The first four episodes of Mikazuki feature idea monsters. We have the watermelon idea monster, the door idea monster, and the wind chime idea monster. Now, those are the three that were made into figures. There's also a fourth idea monster named Giriku, who is much more like your standard kaiju. He's actually kind of Godzilla-esque. You can even hear Godzilla in his roar. Pretty brazen of meme um, to do that, unless, of course, he had Toho's permission. But basically, it's more like an actual kaiju. And I don't want to go into it because I really do want listeners to watch these episodes. But there's a reason that it's kind of Godzilla-like. So I think that you listeners, as otaku, you know, kaiju maniacs, <laughs> you <laughs> will enjoy the reasons that that monster looks like Godzilla in a sense. And then the last two episodes and, and sort of peppered throughout it, there are different changes to the giant robot Mikazuki. And then in the long run, it's sort of like a robot versus robot kind of situation. And it's nuts. Like I talked about Moon Over Tau and I think I said it's nuts, but Moon Over Tau is super tame compared to what Mikazuki is. Mikazuki has all of these levels of Keita, Amemiya's just unbridled creativity. And they're just thrown into this mixture of tokusatsu wonderfulness. So, uh, Gretchen and Clancy, we sat down and watched the first episode of this. What are your initial thoughts
2: on Mikazuki? Well, I think I benefited from you having done the legwork and watched it a number of times and kind of explaining some of the story elements to us. Cause mm-hmm. it is one of those things where when I first sat down and started watching it, a lot of these elements feel like. Even though it's a pilot, and I mean, pilots are actually like this a lot of the time where you kind of need to see more of the actual entire body of work to start piecing these things together. Yeah, yeah. Because they kind of start off as if this is an existing thing. Mm. Uh, we're not going to necessarily explain every little level of it. So there is this team that's put together. And I know some of that was in there and maybe even some of that was lost in translation.
0: And they might explain yeah. some of that
2: in future episodes. Exactly. As, as well, exactly. Yeah. But basically, I just decided I'm going to sit here and just enjoy the visuals that are being thrown at me on screen. And it had that we're going to use all these different elements from all these different shows. So it, it almost could be overwhelming if you let it be. Um, But I was excited about the stuff that was coming up that tied back to things that I had already seen before. Like you were saying um, this Johnny Sacco, uh, you know, and it's flying robot, giant robo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just seeing like this kid in the hand of a giant robot that's covered with this, you know.
0: Oh, all the stonework. Yeah. Or where it is it on, has to yeah. break
2: away before you actually get to see the giant, cool, you know, shiny robot. But there was this moment where I was wondering how much I was going to enjoy it. And that moment was, <laughs> as we said a minute ago, maybe people paused when you said, watermelon monster yeah yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. so all of a sudden
2: we're watching it and there literally is a giant slice of watermelon floating through the sky
1: <laughs> with a sticker on it and i'm like well <laughs> okay
2: <laughs> where is the, i mean i i knowing his work i figured it was going to go where it went but is that moment where you pause and just go okay what's about to happen and then you know like (laughs) then the eyeball pops open on it and then the seeds start shooting out and these demented california raisin-esque little (laughs) beasts are attacking (laughs) people in the city um and then very much like one of my favorite godzilla films by the kaiju monster or whatever just starts to unfold and get cooler and cooler as it goes on oh yeah totally um and then you get to see this the practical effect with the suit and or just all the stuff that's real and just the sliminess to it. Oh, uh the ties back to like you could see another like smaller watermelon coming off of the monster that, you know, all of a sudden has legs and the inside of the watermelon is his guts. And I even think he had like a little like god piece that he was like did. A,
1: <laughs> I saw that too.
2: The shell of a watermelon, a little um, melon piece. Yeah, yeah. he's got to
1: protect himself.
2: <laughs> um But protecting you, really, right? But just working Thank in you. that all those little organic elements to an actual watermelon, where it's like his tendrils are like almost like the vines that
1: yeah, it would yeah, be they growing on are,
2: for sure. And and as all that started kind of unfolding. um I was a hundred percent in. I'm like, this is so awesome. <laughs> I, like, and now you're now you're telling me that the next monster is a door and one is a wind chime, and I'm like, I, sure. I, I want I want to know what happens. I nice. want to sit down nice. and watch him. So it hooked me. Cool, cool. Gretchen, how about you?
1: I love that the kids like the Kwisatz Haderach, Right? I mean, he's got the voice that the words that kill. He's able to summon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like his voice becomes form, and that form like goes out into the universe and. Helps his weird robot that looks like a fennec fox.
0: You know, <laughs> you while we were watching this episode, you mentioned, oh, he doesn't have to know how to fight. He just says the words. Yeah. Stop it. And, you know, that sort of reminded me when, because uh, you and I were sort of watching Ultraman X and Ultraman Orb and yeah. Ultraman Jeed at the same sort of time. Mm-hmm. When I started watching Ultraman X, that sort of CGI virtual space that he lives in yeah. when he's X, I had never seen that before.
1: And Zero lives in that space, too. Or, uh yeah, Zero lives in that space. Okay, yeah. G. So I
0: I just never seen that before. And so this sort of, like, virtual space is very foreign to me. So maybe, yeah. like, the first time I saw it, I wasn't into it. But uh I've always wondered, like, especially with Ultraman X, right? Because the mm. main character from that, whose name I feel is on the tip of my tongue and it's just not coming out, his his uh Daichi, boom! Nice. Daichi is, uh he's in this space. He's never been Ultraman before. And the very first time he's Ultraman, he's like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> I'm so big. And, like, I don't understand <laughs> what's happening. And I really loved that. <laughs> like, I just was kind of disappointed that they let him just immediately, like, be i'm kazeo and i'm comfortable inside of this robot that without without crushing anybody accidentally right you know
1: which (sighs) yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) but i did i've always wondered like how like Daiichi, right who seems like he doesn't really have any training physical training i guess he probably did (laughs) but uh like how do you control Ultraman when (laughs) you're out of your element like that uh, Magic. yes, yes. Uh, so I, I love Mikazuki, you know. It's great. Mikazuki is a fun, different flavor of tokusatsu that's still, as we said with the uh, Over Tau is very familiar. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, I was
1: going to say also part of the aspects that like that felt so familiar is that I feel like it drew from so many, like you were talking about saying it drew from other things that you could get easily, easily overwhelmed. I was like, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking, uh, Evangelion and mm, right, um like yeah. cuz the relationship with the Eva with the with the pilot is a very emotional one
0: Sure yeah yeah so
1: that makes sense for his emotions to be what causes the monster or causes the the robot to move
0: Yeah and I well I mean are you familiar with Super robot stuff. Have you ever watched like? I didn't Mazinger watch Johnny Sacco. Well, you I, went to the Mazinger Z Infinity movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Mazinger Z and, Getter uh, Get a Robo and, you know, those, those TV shows are all very similar. You've got a human piloting a robot, you know, mm. uh, even going back as far as Tetsujin 28, aka Gigantor. Oh, okay. States, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, these are old school things like so actually when uh pacific rim came out and people were like oh this is ripping off evangelion i was like actually it's totally ripping off like mazinger z <laughs> but this series i feel like its nods are never ending mm. you know and
1: fly to the navigator <laughs>
0: yeah we that's so funny i i'm not kidding i did have that written down in this notebook <laughs> that's too funny and then when it happened on screen all like Gretchen said it, and then Clancy said it, and then we we're all three of us were like,
1: Oh, yay!
0: We all <laughs> had exactly the same thought.
1: <laughs> it just really was a scene where there's like you're seeing it from the oh, the eye perspective, and he's just basically floating in this space, and there's four um sigils near him,
0: yeah. And it's like it's got the reticle on the screen yeah, that shows yeah. like the altitude pitch and stuff, or whatever that is. I pitch probably said yaw. all these wrong things, <laughs> right? That, Let's talk a little bit about different details. what do you guys think of the concept of the team, right? So like the AIT. <laughs> very science patrolly. Very been
1: done. <laughs> <it's> very
0: monster <laughs> attack team. Yeah. It's been done. Uh, but I think that was uh this was basically For Amemya's, kids, right? But no, yeah, it was for kids. But I think it was a is saying like oh this is my chance to do like an ultra team or to do
1: okay well then then i'll buy that yeah because i mean i i I mean i'm just so that's such a that's a normal Kaiju trope almost sure yeah is the science team that but they were so ready for this is what <laughs> I just can't get over they were so ready and Good so thing we had these
0: cyber suits with us these nanomite suits or whatever those are and
1: this team of p- women that also are in this virtual world that I don't really yeah
0: <laughs> so uh, Clancy did you what did you think about the AIT team
2: I actually did like it I liked their uh, color scheme it was like that yellow and green that they had going on wasn't it in this one.
0: Yeah, you know, their uniforms were like a yeah. yellow and green um, and then their cyber suits were like color coded. Yeah. So one of them was yellow, one of them was red, one of them was oh, like
2: rangers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think we did point out um with the like the parachute almost yanking on the cord to like transfer into their suit. That was from this one too, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah they they reach up, they pull a cord and it's sort yeah. of like the thing pops up on the back and all the things swirl around them and then they transform.
2: There wasn't enough, I don't think, in this Initial episode for me to say, whether it was something that I love or hate, I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that it was there and I kind of want to see how it develops. And I like the characters that were presented. Um, they
0: do go deeper into yeah. those
2: characters. You do get
0: a little more as the series progresses.
2: One thing I will say, though, is like, so I haven't watched a ton of the television series that are from, say, I've watched some of the Super Sentai stuff that Shout Factory has put out. Okay, yeah. Um, And I've watched definitely like the Ultraman with the Science Patrol, and I love the Science Patrol. What I have seen of like the newest stuff mm-hmm. were those films that we went and watched at the Hollywood, the Ultraman. Oh,
1: no. Um, oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I did enjoy about this one, and I again, without seeing a lot of what was going on around the same time period, I don't know. I found this something a little bit annoying about the science teams in the newer stuff that I've seen. In the Ultra stuff, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, maybe annoying isn't the right word, but it didn't really catch me in the same way that all that Science Patrol stuff... It's, that stuff is some of my favorite stuff about Ultraman. Yeah, and,
0: I feel like the first Science Patrol evolved. Were great. Like, evolved. Yes, they were absolutely great. The Science Patrol in the very first Ultra series were fantastic. And then in the second series, Ultra 7 they get more vehicles and then I think that just keeps happening. And then by the time you get to, I'm just going to say 1989, not like that's an actual year in Tokusatsu to take note of, but I think at that point, basically they just had a ton of vehicles. (laughs) Like it's actually probably almost similar to, um, uh, Thunderbirds or go,
2: you know? Yeah. Yeah, So I guess I'm just being hesitant because I don't think I can make an informed decision. Or an informed decision, informed mm-hmm. opinion, comparing it to other stuff when I haven't seen a lot of other stuff. Right. So what I will say is my only concern when it comes to that kind of stuff is like I don't want to see an annoying team of teenagers that I'm just like, dude, just shut up. and
1: You're talking about Gede. <laughs> put your suit on <laughs> what are you and go fight. To say? <laughs> so
2: what I was presented with, I thought that was yeah, pretty yeah. interesting stuff and I enjoyed it. So cool, I cool. was glad that that element was in the show. And it just adds to that. Let's try everything mesh together kind of attitude.
0: So uh, another team that works with the AIT is the Akebono heavy industry team. <laughs> and that is the that's the group that has the giant robots, the ones that Which look were like tin toys.
1: Awesome. I love that the, the fact that they're tin toys. They are
0: so cool. They only made two robots from the series into toys but well, the, there are a total of four, I think, okay. in the series, and uh, the two, the first two, definitely. I think one of them is right behind Clancy. Is it pink? Is a pink robot back there?
1: Yeah, it's pink. Yeah,
0: so the, there's a pink one and there's a green one. And so the green one was the one we saw in the episode today, and the pink right. one I think is in the second episode. And then later on, you get one that looks kind of like Robbie the robot from No uh, Kidding from Yeah, and it's from Lost in Space. Seriously, super cool. So uh, that that team. That's a really fun dynamic too. One of the reasons I was super interested in watching more of these episodes with you guys is to sort of dive into not just the characters, but the character work that's happening here. Mm -hmm. Uh, because later on in the series, there's totally like a grandmother who's trying to marry off one of the characters. Oh man, we should have a round two of this. Who drinks and forgets some stuff. And it's just like, yes, we should totally have a round two of this. Uh, but yeah, sitting down, forcing these two individuals to sit down for uh, <laughs> seven and a half hours to watch all of this stuff was a
2: little too unrealistic. So. Yeah, that, that got yeah. thrown out there and I didn't respond. I'm like,
0: oh. no, one, no one responded,
2: Clancy.
1: That's because we were like, no. Terrified. No, that's a long time. <laughs> you could if, have just said no. If they were 15 minute episodes, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are 45 minute long, like, looks like episodes yeah, yeah. without the commercials. So do you think this was on like prime time in Japan? Or do you think this was like after school time?
0: I wish I knew. I really wish I did. I wish I had all that Because I'm curious because you
1: don't see very many like this kind of thing as a long show. Like a long hour long show.
0: So here's, here's what I will say. When I interviewed Amemiya, mm-hmm. we talked about this show and we talked about its creation and why it existed, basically. And I sort of remember what he said, but I haven't edited that episode together because that's coming in the next couple of weeks. So we'll have to listen to the episode in a couple of weeks to hear why Mikazuki happened, (laughs) because I didn't want to go listen to it. I thought it would actually be more fun to sort of like go into this without remembering exactly what he said. So I wasn't going to sit there and like, Reiterate all the points that he's about to make a couple of weeks from now in the in the interview, but where do you guys sit with the monsters too? I mean, I know we just saw the watermelon monster, but you saw the other two monsters that I have on the table there, right?
1: I want to see it based on these figures. They're looks phenomenal.
0: It's really interesting to me that they take such a you know benign concept like a watermelon slice or a door chime, wind chime, yeah, or a door, you know, and turn it into a horrifying piece of art work. I can't wait for you guys to actually see more of this episode. Wind chime
1: looks troubling.
0: The wind chime does have a protuberance from its, very troubling. its abdomen. <laughs> I'm actually just going to say that that is some sort of weird belly button. <laughs> it's like umbilical cord. <laughs> I don't remember what it is. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about this show. What did you guys think about Mikazuki, about the actual Iron Warrior when he finally shows up? You said he looks like a fennec fox, which is absolutely correct. (laughs) He's got big
2: ears, kind of like that. It very much reminded me of just your traditional, like, anime-type robot, or just as I mentioned earlier, giant robo. I mean, it's a little bit different, but...
0: He does uh, have some similar shapes, especially to the OVA giant robo where he's got the yeah. big, giant, spherical shoulder bells. Yeah, totally.
2: And I'm trying to think of that other one that's running now or maybe it, maybe it isn't still running. Um, but anyway, uh, I do just like that kind of like basic. It, it's a giant robot. There's not too much. It's slick. Um, got a bit of rounded edges to it. Yeah, totally. Um,
0: now what's weird to me is that like Mikazuki was, it's like he's some sort of ancient tech, I guess
1: he has that like samurai like he's got samurai armor kind of vibe to him because of like all the little what I'm not sure what that term is like the spikes the, no the little um the swirls that oh, are the, like a little fox ornate, fires.
0: yeah the f- little fire swirls yeah like, well I think those it has to do are with very with the crescent moon design that's going on with him maybe
1: yeah he totally has that like kind of shogunate like warrior samurai armor samurai samurai armor type self especially like even on top of the whole like he looks like a cute fennec fox he also has like his helmet kind of looks like the i don't don't know what they're called but the like the straw hats
0: oh yeah yeah he Uh, has that aspect to him Zerum also has that same thing totally one of the things you'll hear if you listen to the kaiju transmissions podcast or the interview i did with amemia is i noted that He likes to have a strong silhouette in his designs, and it's very. He does.
1: I mean, his eyes are very cool looking. Lots of those things stand out.
2: Well, I'll just add too, though. So, not even just from the design standpoint, but from an on-screen usage of the uh, the robot and the monsters too. I always say, like, I have a pretty easy time suspending disbelief, but it does help when they do certain things well, and the way they use the robot on screen and and even the the other one that the girl is piloting uh, the gekoki look, look like yeah. a giant toy yeah. um mixed with the monsters but then the model work that they're using i do not have a hard time at all feeling like i'm actually watching giant monsters and giant robots attacking each other mm-hmm. yes. i don't need a bunch of you know it, it almost pains me sometimes cuz i i had it thrown out at me at work again this week where someone says yeah, but these new, you know, cause these new movies, they're, they just have so much better special effects. <laughs> and I'm just right. Like, yeah. Sure. They, I mean, yeah, I get it. Expensive CG and it's getting better every day, but watching this specific thing with those giant robots realm roaming through the world. Uh, I was sitting there thinking that feeling like I was watching giant robots.
0: Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Again, very familiar to us, uh, as kaiju fans, right? Yeah. Well, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. When this series came out at the same time, Ultraman Neos, I guess, was playing. I've never seen, I've never seen Ultraman that one. Neos. it would be very interesting to, I'd be very interested to see how Neos compares to Mikazuki. You know, instead of going into the Daikaiju discussion aspect of this, I'm kind of curious what you would like to see in future episodes of Mikazuki or what, did you have any questions that, that
1: <laughs> I mean, gosh, I there's, to i really, really right. want to see more of the depth of the story. I mean, I want to know if, if just the kid has the ability to control the robot, is he the only one that can do this? How, who also is able to create idea monsters? Is it only people whose family line? What makes them able to do that? Are they like, Indeed. Do you want the
0: answers now? or are I want to these... watch the series. Okay, watch the series. Okay. So you don't want me to Because like, you
1: know how in G they have too. these people that have that have these little small powers and they're called like tiny stars.
0: OK. I think I remember seeing the first one of those.
1: And so tiny stars like had would like facilitate powers or monsters would come after them because of their power.
0: OK.
3: I was
1: thinking maybe that had that same kind of vibe. Oh. Like they could have Ultraman or uh, Ultraman Geed could have probably like taken from this storyline because if these people creating idea monsters, right, I want to know like more about how that happens and what's the depth behind that
0: ah, okay. besides just intent. Like, well, the, unfortunately, they don't explain we only, it to- we only see four monsters. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. I want to say that what happens and again, I've I've watched this series a couple of times now, a few times now, but. Never have I been able to really dive as deep into it as I did to the one today. Yeah. They only have four monsters in this six episode series. Once you get past that fourth monster, it becomes robot versus robot. Mm. And then the whole idea monster thing, I think I remember that it just goes away. Like, those are no longer a thing. But there's another robot that appears
2: and I will just leave it at that. Hmm. Well, do you, do you, maybe you don't know, or maybe it's not obvious, but I mean, this is a six episode thing. Does it feel like it ended? Like, as in they were just like, you're not making any more episodes or.
0: Yeah. It feels like it ended. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's not open ended. Oh, so there oh. is there actually is like a conclusion the, to the, the sixth episode is the finale. But, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I think this was basically constructed as a set Time frame. We're gonna do this episode. This up, ep- you know, this six episode series here. And it wasn't like we're gonna do season one, then season two, then season three. I think it literally was like, "Here's my story," which is funny because Keita Amemia's work was kind of like that. Going up to this one project in 2005, he was basically not coming back to do sequels or to do second series of anything, with the only exception being Zerum, where he did a second movie and an animated series. But then after 2005, or in 2005, he created Garo. Mm -hmm. And Garo is so crazy, crazy popular. The series started in 2005. I don't want to say the original series has several seasons. And then they did movies in 2006, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, and 2017. So that's in addition, I think, to television series. And I don't know what it was that, that's grabbed the Japanese sort of like pop culture attention about it. But I watched the first series and I really enjoyed it. It's pretty cool. Definitely Amemiya flavored work for sure. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention about Amemia's work is that last year, 2017, apparently he put out a movie called Roku Roku, The Promise of the Witch, mm. which is about a Roku roku
1: I want to see this.
0: So if you're familiar with yokai, Roku Rokubi is a stake necked woman, and she appears in the very first installment of the sixties yokai series, Yokai Hyako Managatari. And, uh, I, I love Amemia's work, so I really hope that I get to see Roku Roku sometime soon. Now, uh, back to Mikazuki. You guys have already said you're looking forward to finishing the series, so, uh, I would love To know what you guys think. I'm not going to put the pressure on you to finish watching it this month (laughs) and come back and record. But, uh, basically if you ever want to like drop back in and we could like talk a little bit more about the series, we could totally do that because I think more people need to see Mikazuki. Uh, if you have not checked it out online again, there is going to be a link in the show notes to the kind souls YouTube videos. The kind soul who uploaded it to YouTube. <laughs> Let's see. Final thoughts. Clancy, what do well, you have to say about Mikazuki?
2: I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you like at least some of the stuff that we like. And this thing is filled with elements from all kinds of things that all different kinds of people out there like. Uh, and six of six episodes are contained and available. I think it's worth at least trying the first episode. Uh, you're going to know if you're going to be hooked or not. Um, I mean, just, you could find even one or two elements that we've been talking about. I think if you're sold on that, uh, I think it was worth spending the, cause the pilot is an hour, 15 minutes versus the 45, 50 minute episodes. But I would sit down and watch something just to see a watermelon kaiju fighting, (laughs)
1: seriously, you know, really good watermelon kaiju,
2: even, even taking away story elements or whatnot. Mm -hmm. There is some really cool. Kaiju battle action going on in this. So sit down, try the first episode. Um, if for some reason you can't stand it, well, then sorry you wasted. <laughs> no harm, time. no foul. Yeah. Or right? jump, click through the episode or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> it, it, you got to skip all that boring human drama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in seriousness, it's like if you've seen any of his artwork, if, you've, if you Google his artwork and look at it, I think it's a good representation of what he does. Mm hmm. And I mean, I, I agree with you. I think more people should check this stuff out. I'm very glad to hear that what he's doing now is very popular. But as you said, a lot of people might not have seen some of this other stuff that's older and it's available to us. So, yeah, man, seek it out.
0: Seek and consume. How about you, Gretchen? Final thoughts on uh, Iron Warrior Mikazuki?
1: People should absolutely say this and draw your own crazy conclusions as to why, why they're able to do the things they're able to do. Cause I mean, it's like you were saying, it's not super explained mm-hmm. and it has kind of a, some deep Buddhism kind of beliefs of intent and in what you're putting out in the world, right? Yeah.
0: There's a ton of stuff we didn't even get into, like I the mean, iconography and the symbology. Oh, and it's gorgeous where things are taking place, the different universes and so forth. So it's one of those things where yeah, I totally agree. Get in there and like just dive in, really, really watch the series. Um, I'll say that my final thoughts are, yeah, Mikazuki is awesome. I remember when I first saw it, uh, at least first saw the images of Mikazuki. And my initial response was, what is that? And when can I see it? Hmm. Uh, you know, and seeing it, it does hold up fairly well.
1: I mean, that aside, it's gorgeous from it being a
0: television show from 2000 in Japan. It's got some foibles. Sure. But overall, it's super fun, super cool. And uh I love Amemia's work and you should honestly you should just watch it alone for it being Amemiya's work because he's got some awesome things that you're not going to see in a Toho production in an Ultraman production. It's just they're not going to have Amemiya's style. Oh man, how awesome would it be to actually have him direct a like Godzilla entry, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that would be so cool. That would be one of those things where Amemiya like was helmed To direct a Godzilla movie, 75% of the Godzilla fandom, I'm sure, would be like, who's that? What? I don't like the stuff I've seen. And then there'd be 25% of us who are like, give it to me.
1: And be really gory.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So having said that, I think what I'll do is I'll let you guys go. And thank you so much for coming out and spending the time to watch this. Let's definitely watch some more in the future. Okay, so since Clancy and Gretchen have been gone from the KaijuCast HQ, I've been able to do a little bit more research, and thanks to an issue of Japanese Giants Magazine, I think it's issue 9, the GMK issue, there's actually a very small one and a half page article by Mr. Bob Johnson of Sci-Fi Japan. I did grab a couple of kernels of wisdom from that article, and number one was that Bob says that at the time, this was the most expensive television show ever produced in Japan, which is pretty awesome to think about that amount of money being put into something that was just really helmed by a crazy artist. Additionally, I think he said that the investors weren't very pleased with it at the end of things. And the last item I took note of was that he said this was broadcast monthly. That's why the six episodes spanned six months. Now, I don't know what else I could say to you to get you to go out and check out Mikazuki, uh, but there is something that I feel like I do need to address, and that's because we have a lot of people who listen to the show with their kids, and we try and be as family friendly as possible. So I just have to throw out a warning, throw out a uh, disclaimer. Keita Amemiya is actually an artist, and as an artist, he loves depicting the female form, and uh, he does like to augment it a little bit. There's nothing sexual about it, really, in most of the stuff that we are talking about, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that if you're watching these things with your kids, you might have to figure out a way to explain a surprise skin moment if you're watching pretty much any of Amemiya's work. And as I mentioned in the episode several times, I am going to have links in the show notes to the YouTube videos so you can watch Mikazuki online. I'll also have a link in the show notes to where you can actually purchase Moon Over Tau legally here in the United States, but also an entire set of Keita Amemiya's work. Please make sure to check out the Kaiju Transmissions podcast for their upcoming episode about the Zerum series, which is a really great chapter of Amemiya's work. And in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with one very long song. This is actually taken from the Mikazuki in Rock CD that I bought in preparation for the interview in this episode. It's called Black Moon Symphony, and we will see you very soon for the Daikaiju discussion for Pacific Rim Uprising. Make sure to get your homework turned in by the 27th if you want to be included in that episode. Until then, Jamata. I thought you said it was from when I thought it was older. Okay, all right. You want to say it again?
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't care enough. I only like watch what? one episode I of it. I was really
0: waiting for you to sing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Save that for later. <laughs>